a letter to the Galatians chapter 1. Yes, a safe place. This is a safe place to be new to the Bible. You don't know anything about the Bible. You're just beginning to learn to read the Bible. Yeah, uh, this is a safe place. And if you didn't bring one, all you need to do is Google Galatians 1 and the initials ESV as an English Standard Version. It's the one we use here on Sunday mornings. I'll do all the rest. The letter to the Galatians chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. The translator heading reads, no other gospel. No other gospel. And while you find your place, let me just say, last Sunday we began our study of this letter. It's a letter interrupting our progress through a book of the Bible, another book of the Bible called Acts, which is the story of the earliest years of the church. And inserting into the flow of Acts, we have inserted into the flow of Acts this letter, the first letter of its kind, sent out by an apostle, the apostle Paul, just about the time inserted into Acts just about the time he actually wrote it and sent it in the timeline of the book of Acts. He sent this letter just after he finished his first missionary trip and returned home to receive disturbing news coming from the people and places he had just visited. This is the impetus for Paul to send Galatians. And you might say with the sensitivity of like a sledgehammer, uh, he pens the verses we are about to read, arguably some of the, mo- some of the precise verses, the, the specific sentences that sparked a revolution inside the church that we refer to as the Reformation. October 31st, Re- Reformation Sunday, right? October 31st, 1517, Wittenberg, Germany, Martin Luther and others begin pounding out their five solas, their five onlys. Christians are saved by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone as revealed in Scripture by Scripture alone to the glory of God and God alone. These are, as I said last week, has been so famously said, this is an explosive letter. So would you look with me, beginning with verse 6, I'll read through verse 10. And then pray, follow along, verse 6. Paul writes, I am astonished. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Verse 7, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, Let him be accursed. (laughs) Verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man (laughs) or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The very words of God, would you join me in a brief prayer that we might understand them? These words. Father, Grant 
spiritual sight this morning. Show us what it is you want to say to us. Father, I pray for the power of your spirit to unplug our ears and soften our hearts that we might receive we might receive this good news father i pray this morning for the weary person on reformation sunday feeling like everything just keeps going the same way over and over again but father i pray you would refresh their souls this morning with the sweetness that comes from your grace and mercy cut us all to the heart cause us to abandon any lingering thoughts of ignoring you or trying to earn from you any favor for your glory for salvation for our good we pray in jesus name amen and then what a text i actually i feel i feel very weak as i consider it but let me ask a question what makes you angry i get a list <laughs> what makes you angry everybody's got their thing you got your thing what is your thing that makes you angry could it could it be traffic right the californians hate their traffic it makes us angry is it inflation you go to the you go to the restaurant and you find out you're buying for a table of 10 instead of two it feels like it maybe it's crime in my neighborhood just this last week a car fleeing from the police slammed into a neighbor's house and then spread out through the neighborhood they chased them all over jumping over fences maybe you're just sick of crime it makes you angry or maybe it's racism social justice issues it's abortion it's identity politics just can't stand it anymore or the neighborhood just doesn't clean up after their dog come on right <laughs> Here's a real-life situation in my neighborhood going on right now. Someone is painting their house, and if you own a house, you might know what I'm about to say. And let's just, let's just say the, their color selection <laughs> has left some room, right? The rest of the neighborhood's slightly dissatisfied, to say it politely. I'm, I've been receiving messages, photos, before and afters, uh, in-betweens, progress reports, as people are just driving out of the neighborhood and snapping photos, tweeting it, whatever. I received a message the other day from one of my neighbors who, who affectionately nicknamed the color. They named the color because we don't have the actual color that they are painting the house, Electric Pond Scum. <laughs> it's green, and which is always, it's always a mistake. <laughs> or it's really, really hard to get green right. Electric Pond Scum. There is no end to the variety of things that will trigger us. <laughs> so what's it that makes you angry? <clears throat> and to be clear up front, some, some anger is righteous anger. A right response to sin and evil and all of its shades and forms in this world. That is, that, that, and this righteous anger, that is as the Lord's anger measured and patient and finds its impulse grounded in love. But regardless of whether your anger is righteous or sinful, all anger, whatever it is that triggers you to respond angrily, reveals something about you 
as much as does your neighbor's color selection. <laughs> it reveals something about you, our anger. What you value, what you, what, what's important to you, what you treasure. You can, you can learn a lot about yourself by examining what it is that makes you angry. I know I can. It's, it's right there. Usually for everybody, painfully obvious. Even when it feels like I can't control it. My heart is exposed. And that's what's funny. Often comical, right? It's comical when someone loses it in public. We call them Karen, right? Or Ken. <laughs> it's, it's embarrassing at times when people get angry, even shameful, as someone demands to speak to the manager or worse. Listen, if there was ever a time that the Apostle Paul lost it, lost it in public, the guy who wrote 28% of the New Testament, when, he would, when, when in the moment he would have went viral if it was 2022, maybe it's right here in our text this morning because Paul is angry. Angry. And what, what he is angry about reveals a lot about what is most important to him. What he values over everything else. What he believes is worth fighting for and defending and preserving and treasuring. If you look back with me, verse 6, again, you see it. I am astonished. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting. And if you stop right there, you might, you might say he's speechless. That's a little bit of what that word means. He's shocked, indignant. Definitely upset, definitely not standing down or rolling over. That's why he wraps up this little section here, his initial reaction to them with an explanation. Verse 10, if you look again, we read it. Verse 10, for, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? That sounds like a guy who just said something. Or am I trying to please man? Nope. If I were still trying to please man, Paul writes, I would not be a servant of Christ. These are fighting words, principled words. Paul lays it out for everyone to see. It just comes out of him. Look, verse 8, speaking of the issue at hand, a corruption of the essential claim of Christianity itself, the gospel. He writes, but even if we were an angel, we or an angel, and that's a little tongue-in-cheek there, even if an angel came down from heaven and preached a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. This is a guy that's feeling something at the moment. Verse 9, as we've said before, so I, I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Cursed, literally, he's not using coarse language, but to those who threaten the very thing that is most important to Paul, may you be cursed. Not a, well, we're going to have to agree to disagree on this finer point about, <laughs> no, like a lion. Fierce, may you be cursed. You and whoever, whoever you are with and have come from, if you tamper with this, you have to answer to God. 
Paul heard a report. <laughs> no, we're going to enjoy it when we get back into Acts in the spring. Paul heard a report, <laughs> and we're going to see how that all goes down in the book Acts, that the very persons that he had personally, you might say, traveled to, <laughs> spoke to, served, laid down his life, literally getting stoned they try to att they attempt to execute him dragging him out of town from town to town literally the very persons who he had personally traveled to share with them what is most precious the news of salvation through the life death and resurrection of jesus these individuals have renounced the gospel they have renounced. That's what that word deserted means. Like, like they were turncoats, thinking military. They were traitors already. Can't believe it. You have defected. Like Judas, betrayed. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting. This is a righteous anger. And it's clear as to why he's angry. Look again, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. There is verse 7, if you look. Not It was there once already, but verse 7. Not that there is another one. <laughs> there it is again. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There it is a third time. Paul is angry because Paul knows and believes and treasures the gospel, the gospel of Christ. What he stated in his opening introduction, the verses just prior to here when he said, Jesus who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, an age that we still live in today, according, he says, according to the will of our God and Father. Paul is gobsmacked. That's the Irish term. Not that I'm Irish, but someone told me. He's gobsmacked. That anyone, listen, would offer any alternative option or give him or herself to that option, even if that alternative option is only a slight deviation, like a knockoff, on Amazon, you got to try so hard, look it up, check it out. Is it really what I see that they're selling there on that website? Even if it's just slightly different and new and improved. He's gobsmacked. And so he begins his letter with this grand assertion. He's making a statement. And here it is. There will never be another gospel it's not just that there is only one gospel but let's be clear right up front before i explain what the gospel is paul is saying in the book of galatians there will never ever ever be another gospel good news there won't be any other good news there is only one let no one tell you otherwise. And that's the message for us again this morning. Let no one tell us otherwise. Let no one else trouble you. Let no one deceive you. There will never be 
Never was, there isn't, there will never be another gospel. It's not just that there is a different gospel. The different gospel isn't a gospel at all. And I'm going to explain what that word means in a moment. That's why Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. Let me give you three observations, three points. Point number one and three. Here's, here is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so precious and worth defending. Worth taking up arms. The Protestant Reformation. Because there's only one him. See that there in verse 6? I am astonished, point number one, there, there is only one him. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. And that him there, listen, Paul's not personally, you know, a little miffed, like, like a little bit upset. He's not talking about being betrayed himself, the apostle. He's talking about him as in God. God himself. You mess with the gospel, you lose God. That's what Paul's saying. You mess with the gospel, you have deserted him. And not just because God has exclusively provided a means by which all of humanity is offered salvation from the clutches of this evil age and our evil hearts themselves, our sinful desires to reconcile us to him. And only him through the work of Jesus. It's not just that, that you lose because you just lost him. No, you tamper with the gospel and you lose the goal of the gospel in the first place. You lose God. We used to give this book away because they gave us, I don't know, cases and cases of it a decade or so ago. But a book written about a decade ago by John Piper entitled, God is the Gospel provocatively god himself the hymn that they have just deserted is the gospel this is what he writes listen john piper uh, pastor in the midwest he says christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring god this is often a mistake especially especially outside the church but i would say even worse inside the church that here's the goal of the gospel. This is what God is doing. He writes, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who then go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God, he writes, and people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. People who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. Listen, he writes, the gospel is not a way, of, a way to get people to heaven. Oh, it's, it's, it's way better. It's, it's way deeper. Listen, it's a way to get people to God. Who happens to be in heaven? Because <laughs> heaven is where God is. He writes, it's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. I'm astonished you so quickly would desert joy in God. I think his conclusion is right. Here's what he writes. He writes, 
if we don't want God above all things, this is what making Paul a little bit angry here, if we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. This is how the Father loves us. Because of his great love, he gave his only son for us, to us, that we in the end might have right there, him. He's the treasure. He's the goal. We get God. We have a relationship with him that has been broken by our sin and rebellion. You want to be upset? <laughs> Can I add something to your list of things to make you angry? <laughs> like you need one? Consider all the ways you and I, oh, you and I, and Christians, the church, and the world, I think we're the worst, but and the world, continue to offer goals and prizes and treasures and ambitions as promises that will make us happy. Truly happy and satisfied. You see that? You see that in an ad, you see that in a commercial, you see that on a billboard, you see that through the salesman as you're buying your new car, whatever it is. All of those things. And the good news truths that are proclaimed to us through us and believed by so many that terminate in something other than him is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. And we should be astonished. Especially, we should be astonished when we have a brother or sister, or let me just say me or you, we should be astonished when anyone would turn to these other so-called gospels and desert him. <laughs> these, these other things, the Bible calls them idols. False gods. False other things that will be the source of all joy. Idols, oftentimes in our heart, they're not even physical things, trinkets and tr whatever. They're, they're idols in your heart as Calvin, the reformer, right? Reformation Sunday said, our, our hearts are idol factories. False, <laughs> we create false gods that promise everything. God promises and offers, but never ever truly delivers ultimately providing and the list starts with all the headliners like sex and money and drugs sometimes even medications or health or healthy lifestyles all those kind of things it goes on to movies and entertainment and a house and netflix and a, and a spouse maybe or another spouse or or friends and more friends and popularity or maybe just a new app or a new phone or new clothes or new cars or even a new church mm. If you think pastors, <laughs> the heart of a pastor can't ever produce another false idol that we'll call another church. <laughs> There's whole books written on it, two pastors telling them to stop it. <laughs> These things won't make anyone happy, won't make you happy. Not, not that God doesn't call us to different churches and all those sort of things, but to dream that, well, if, I, if it was just, just like that, if it was 
just like this, if they were just like me, or not like me, we were all not alike, or we were all the same, and we all believed the same things. We had big tests before you could join us, that that would make me happy. Our hearts dream up countless idols, we're idol factories, and, and with them come different gospels. And this should evoke from us, especially dete when detected from within ourselves, a powerful emotional response of indignation and defense. I heard one pastor say, every time I'm exposed to the gospel and my heart just sits there cold and indifferent, the alarms go up, the reading lists change, what are the songs I listen to change, the media I'm consuming changes, the friends I'm spending time with change. Because I'm now astonished that I have so quickly deserted him. Point number two. Second observation of three observations here's why the gospel of jesus christ is so precious and worth defending and if you notice now we're just going to stick with this little phrase here this little this little i don't know i'm not a grammar guy this little thing right here <laughs> in verse six not only do we lose him listen there is only one him there is only one way there's only one way. Look with me again, verse 6. It's loaded with freight. Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace. And if you just stop right there, just to make this obvious, who called you in the grace. We, we are growing closer and closer to the nerve <laughs> that was struck and disturbed Paul in this letter. There can only ever be one way. There can only ever be one way. There will only ever be one way. And that is by the saving, sovereign grace. That's where our name comes from. Of God. Him who calls us by his grace. The whole rest of the letter is going to be a diatribe against those that would try to add something, subtract something, pun intended, if you know the book. The whole, the whole letter is one big defense of, you might say, leave it as it is. Live with it as it is. You can either be free and receive the gift of God's grace, he writes later, or you can die. There is no in-between. There's no middle terms. There aren't any addendums. Him who called you in the grace. Him who called you in grace. There that word called loaded with freight. Listen. Listen. You add nothing and prepare nothing for God to save you. He calls, and there is a power in that call. But the power's not in your processing, ethical, morality, whatever it is, traditions and education that call you. 
to receive this grace. But no, you're called in grace. Ephesians 2, I just give you a little tour of the things that Paul writes in other letters since this is his most primitive letter, his first letter. He writes to the Ephesians, he writes, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. You don't need to turn there, but let me read. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived, starting with myself, all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were nature, by nature children of wrath like the rest of the mankind. And listen, this is the great but. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Listen, and this was, and you might even have been at the class, we ran a class this month called Christianity 101, and we talked about biblical theology, the, the, the storyline of the scriptures. This was, I think, was the hardest part of the whole class. This is the hardest part to accept. Paul writes to the Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Uh, that's a hard pill to swallow. This Paul's saying, there's only one way. And it starts and it's accomplished and completed by him and him alone who called you in grace. It's a scandal. As one author writes, grace is not simply a sentiment or attitude or posture we find in God. It is God's concrete response to human sin. This means to properly understand the gospel and therefore properly understand being called in grace, by grace, depends on a prior, proper understanding of sin in the human predicament. I'm so astonished, Paul says. That you'd abandon Him! Who made a way? And there's only one way. Carl Truman, another author, this is what he writes. A church, he's speaking about a church that is a grace alone church, and, and this is what we need to hear this morning, a grace alone church, one who is convinced there is only one way and is being called by his grace. A grace alone church will be one that unashamedly declares God's sovereign priority over all of creation and his sovereign priority over the church and her people. Only in this way can we speak and minister and preach and be a witnesses with confidence, knowing that it is not our eloquence that saves, but the Spirit using the Word to bring people to Christ. Only in this way can we be confident, he writes, knowing that whatever the problem, 
may be. Whatever problem you may be in, no matter what you have done, what you did last night, what you did 10 years ago, what you'll do tomorrow, no matter what, our sovereign, gracious God is in control. He's the one that calls. He's the one that saves. He's the one that holds. He's the one that keeps. He's the one that comforts us along the way. He's the one that keeps us and sustains us and helps us and gives us the grace to persevere that we might trust Him, that He is saving until the end. And this is the hard part. We add nothing to the equation but our faith, which is a gift in and of itself. If we lose that, this calling in grace, we lose the gospel. Mm. You can't add to it, subtract to it. <laughs> Be suspicious of your expectations of how it is that God saves you or your preferences in how God saves someone else. It's often our demands and expectations and preferences of another and not ourselves. <laughs> We'll give ourselves the same high bar to jump over. Or a culture. Listen, the greatest enemy to cause us to desert him who called us in his grace is ourselves. It's also a challenging, challenging thing to believe and confess as a church because it's messy look around the room everybody is in progress nobody's doing what you want them to do that might be why you're angry it's oftentimes why i'm angry but what god has called them to is faith in christ and not whatever your set of cultural, churchy-ish, whatever preferences. It looks quite different for all of us. And I'm not talking at all about the call to godliness, which is the whole second half of the book of Galatians. But this all starts with him and his call. Last point, final point. Here's why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so precious and worth defending and taking arms up and fighting with our very lives. There will be never be another gospel because there's only one Him. There's only one way. Listen, there's only one Jesus. There's only one Jesus. There's only one Savior. There's never been, never will be. He's the curse breaker. Curiously enough, Paul's, well, not struggling, he's stating it as it is. He says, you go with anything else, you're cursed. You've been cursed. Again, this last month, running a class on Christianity 101, a bitter pill to swallow, a hard truth to understand. That this whole thing works off of being blessed or cursed. Those who are left to their own devices, which is, doesn't include any Gospels, stand as enemies of God 
to be cursed. But Jesus is the cursed break, curse breaker. He's the one who, as Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different Gospel. There will never be another Gospel because there will never be another one, another Jesus, another Savior, another Shepherd who will lay down His life, a sacrifice for our sins that will appease God's wrath and win for us reconciliation justification by faith and not by works faith alone grace alone through Christ alone we should be astonished listen when someone offers something else someone else who could carry us along a, a gospel oh may we be astonished that anyone would buy listen Jesus Jesus isn't just the one who laid down his life for us, who stood in your and my place and then fades off into history. <laughs> one trick pony. Now I'm saved, headed to heaven, released from the bondage of sin, one of the freest people on earth. No, no, you when you lose Jesus, you lose the gospel because when you lose Jesus, you lose the purpose and center of all that we celebrate and hold dear. He is, he is the fountain. He is, oh, he's the north star. Listen, another letter from Paul to the Colossians. This is how he describes the one you lose when you lose the gospel. He writes that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. This is what you lose when you lose the gospel. When you add or tamper, you just tweak it just a little bit, you add a couple preferences or cultural things to it, you lose that which is the reason all of this exists in the first place. He's, he, call, he says, Paul writes, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, and He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. You lose the gospel, you lose everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So he writes, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
And here's his warning to the Colossians. If indeed you continue in the faith. That's why he's so astonished by the Galatians. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so I can say no more, Paul says. To say anything else would to be not a servant of God. Feel, listen, don't feel the weight of Paul's anger, indignation. Here's where Paul's going to drive us in Galatians, but even today. Feel the power of the gospel to in spite of you, in spite of me, to call us by grace, not, not by anything that you've done, anything you'll do, no ability, no moral compass, but simply because of grace. Feel the power of the Father calling people like you and me to himself, freeing us, giving us the gift of faith that we might trust him and in trusting him enjoy him and be brought underneath him Jesus may we all feel the power this morning you're, you're here this morning and you've heard this gospel a thousand times it's worn out but it's more than just words on a page, sentences. It, it's turning your heart and you feel the weight of what he is offering. Well, can I pray for you? And I know in Sovereign Grace Church of Orange, there are people who have heard it. You have heard it a thousand times. And you've tinkered with the gospel and tried to find a different way to make it work for you. Let me pray for you that you might receive that call and by grace receive Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, I simply turn to you and ask that you would save. You would do what Paul is defending. Father, I pray you would strip away all the things, the idols and the other th thoughts of, of fitness and uh, ways in which we could earn your favor and instead you would, you would simply compel, compel us all, but in particular the one who has never, compel us to trust you and to put into your hands, commit into your arms the welfare of their souls. Father, I pray you would reconcile people to yourself even this morning in the hearing of your word preached. For all of us, Father, I pray you would receive our praise for your finished work and our blessed hope. We have anchors. 
in heaven. And we rejoice in you because we have you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.